All right, everyone, welcome to today's newest episode of Heal Thyself. Man, I'm so excited to share this information with you today. I was thinking about every topic in the world to talk about, and I chose some really good ones for today. Um, our special guest later, uh, amazing, amazing information on her. She's going to really drop some good bombs, teach us, uh, learn how to change our lives and the importance of a very specific factor in our health. So I can't wait to get her on, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, and um, we'll shoot right into it and get right into the knowledge bomb. All right, today's knowledge bomb is on a very, very, very special organ in our body that we do not put enough emphasis on. It's very mysterious. We know some of what it does. I don't think we understand the full picture of it. It's called a pineal gland. Some people say pineal gland. I say the pineal gland. It's an endocrine organ because it secretes hormones, and it is basically the third eye gland. You know, when uh, in ancient mysticism and metaphysical, metaphysical literature, we'll see this third eye, and it's really representative of the pineal gland. And it's right in the midline, deep in the head, right by the third eye, and it's pine cone shape. And if you think, and if you look back in archeology, span ancient ruins, you'll see a lot of this, the pine cone shape. And it's believed that throughout history that different civilizations understood the sacred importance of, of that structure. So they're using this pine cone structure to reflect it. Um, also, in ancient Egypt, you'll see the Eye of Horus, and the Eye of Horus is, uh, is encapsulating the pineal gland, which is amazing stuff. Some philosophers actually throughout time uh, believe that it's where the soul is in the body, where it's hanging out, which is amazing because what that shows me is throughout history, we've had an inkling that this is a very important organ. So it's as powerful as it is mysterious. In the pineal gland, we have these things called pinealocytes, and they secrete melatonin. Now, melatonin is super, 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 super important. It's an important hormone that is basically a master regulator. It's what is our biological clock hormone. It works antagonistically to cortisol. So basically, when you're at home and it's late at night and you're getting tired, that's because your melatonin is getting up there. It's raising up and your cortisol is going down. Conversely, when you wake up in the morning, your cortisol is what's really waking you up. That's your alarm system. So when we speak of different rhythms, that's what we're talking about. Everything in our body has rhythm. Light rhythm, dark rhythm, all our organs have rhythm. Menstrual cycles have rhythm, every single thing. That's the way our body works. Nothing's fixed and being shot out at this amount all the time. So when light hits the retina, um, that inhibits the release of melatonin in the body, right? Because these cells in the eye send a signal right into a special part of your brain called a suprachiasmatic nucleus. In there, that's why the pineal gland is just hanging out, chilling, floating around. And when it hits that area, uh, the blue light in itself, right, like cell phones, uh, TV, laptops, what happens is that melatonin uh, is reduced. It, the, it's, it's a signal for the pineal gland to hang out, don't, don't, don't shoot out any more melatonin. Additionally, what melatonin does is it gives you that feeling of feeling tired. I said that, but it also reduces respiration and it reduces your body temperature. Really amazing stuff. It also has an influence on rhythms, specifically in the pituitary gland and the ovaries right? Which is amazing stuff, right? Uh, because melatonin, the way we think about it, we think about it with sleep, but it also is implicated in the timing, the length, and the frequency of menstrual cycles. So uh, when you think about that, it's a, such a powerful process and uh, a, a powerful, it's, it's a director of so many things in the body. And then you bring in that it it basically is, it can orchestrate the rhythms of how our body responds to the environment. So when you're move, going to another part of the country and the time changes, well, really melatonin is what's helping your body adjust and it's driving those rhythms in the body. When we talk about melatonin on my side as a cancer doctor, yes, melatonin is so important. This is one of my favorite uh, qualities of melatonin. What happens is when you're asleep, melatonin is an awesome antioxidant. It scavenges these free radicals. And remember, free radicals are important because they cause DNA damage. They're important to pay attention to. They need to be negated and neutralized. So it protects the DNA, melatonin in itself. At the same time, it stimulates the immune system. In animals and humans, we see that it stimulates the release of these proteins, these messenger proteins called cytokines. And this modulates immune system, right? It stimulates the T cells. You know, when someone has AIDS, it's their T cells that are really low. Well, the T cells are so important for immune strength and response. Um, 
Melatones also believed in infants to stimulate the first stool for, for, the, for, the, for the infant. And then it's also believed that melatonin in the breast milk uh, helps create a circadian rhythm in the infant too. So really important all across the board is something that we should be talking more about is melatonin, but really where it's coming from, the pineal gland, and how do we ensure its health. And lastly, some of the lesser known um, uh, qualities of melatonin, what it does is it protects the GI, actually, the GI tract from ulcerations. It helps reproduction and sexual maturity. I alluded to that a little bit. Bone health, actually, bone formation and production. And it's neuroprotective, particularly in folks who had strokes. Melatonin is really being released to protect the brain. So. When we talk about melatonin, that's endogenous, but exogenous melatonin, that's coming from supplements. And I'd like to see more data on melatonin as a whole because it's a hormone, right? And we give it really liberally. And we give it in high doses sometimes for folks who may not need it. The problem is more is not always necessarily better when it comes to melatonin. Usually it's the lower doses that really will help you sleep. Now, it works at first, but you can become desensitized to melatonin when you're taking it over time. So. Uh, there's a myth that you take melatonin and it will stop your brain from making melatonin forever. That's not true. But it can desensitize you over time. So please pay close attention. If you're taking melatonin and it's not working anymore, it might be a better idea to get the, to the root cause of why you're not sleeping. Um, so uh, when it comes to the pineal gland, the pineal gland also releases something called DMT. All right, and this is called the spirit molecule. There was actually a really good um, uh, documentary I saw called DMT, the spirit molecule. And it, I actually urge you all to watch it, to learn more, learn more about the body, learn more about what, we, what the, the, the phenomenon of life and death and, and the implication of what the pineal gland does with that. So um, yes, DMT is really released high when we're born and when we're dying. And it's said to be basically the, the, that's why they call it the seed of the soul, because when you transition to uh, death or another life, uh, DMT is at really high amounts and it produces a, a very different experience than we're used to. I'll digress from that. But anyway, the pineal gland, it starts to um, decline in function as we get older, right? And this is likely due to increased accumulation of calcification, right? The most concerning harmful chemical to the pineal gland is fluoride. Fluoride, 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 fluoride. Only 50% is excreted through the kidneys. The rest is building up in the bones, in the pineal gland, and other tissues. In the Journal of Carey's Research, uh, there was a study on fluoride distribution in the body. It was the first extensive look of how fluoride builds up in the body, and it found it's shown for the first time that fluoride readily accumulates in the human pineal gland. And by old age, the average pineal gland contains about the same amount of fluoride as teeth. The fluoride concentration of the pineal gland was significantly higher than the muscles, and it's likely due to the high internal and external surface area of the pineal gland and its high amount of blood flow, which is bringing a lot of fluoride there. They also found that fluoride readily displaces other molecules in the pineal gland, right? So they quoted that it's extremely high level of substitution. When fluoride gets to the pineal gland, it starts removing other molecules and sticks to it. Um, so this study... Uh, was uh, in folks for old age, but we also are starting to see it in children too. So this is why I did a whole show on fluoride. One of my first, I think it was on the one, one through 10 in there. I did a show on fluoride for this reason, because of the importance of staying away from fluoridated water. Um, and, and actually the data is not even strong enough to show that it does anything for the teeth. I do not know why it's in our water system. I personally think it's very toxic. And I think that at this point, at this day and age, there's so many other options for filters that remove fluoride that we have no other excuse. So what are some other things we could do to protect the pineal gland? Iodine is amazing. Iodine is part of the halogen group and it helps displace fluoride from the pineal gland. And that's found in sea vegetables. So think in terms of uh, you know, uh, seaweed, uh, kelp, things like that, kelp noodles. They're gonna have a lot of that iodine. So it's gonna be really helpful. Um, and also think of things that would help bring that calcium to the bones, like vitamin D, vitamin K, instead of building up in your pineal gland. I wish I could give more uh, research and more data onto what to do for the pineal gland to keep it safe, but honestly, the biggest thing you can do is avoid fluoridated water, okay? So what you can do, get yourself a good water filter. I personally have the Berkey one. I'm not paid by them, but they need to sponsor the show because I talk about them every other episode. But there are a lot of water filters out there that do remove fluoride. So 
just pay close attention to that, please, and start getting those that iodine in your in your system, right? Sea veggies are wonderful. Make sure they're clean. Make sure they're um, non-toxic and and uh, look looked over for heavy metals and whatnot. So that's that. The pineal gland, very important. Melatonin, very important. I loved this knowledge bomb because I always talk about the pineal gland. It's so mysterious to me, but it's so powerful. And we're going to be learning more throughout the year. So um, I will be reporting, as always, next up, the product review. we got to go into this product review because literally every single product that I'm going to be bringing in, I've tried as a kid and as a teenager and as a young adult. But now I'm here to teach you how to avoid them and which one to find. Today's product review is going to be a really important one. I was at a party the other day and I was talking to someone and they go, I love your show. I watch it all the time. It's been helping me and my family. Wonderful. And I love that feedback and thank you all for giving that to me. But they said, why haven't you reviewed mouthwash? And I said, you know what? I did toothpaste and I touched on mouthwash, but I haven't properly, proper, properly uh, reviewed it. So why not? I'm here to talk about mouthwash. And it's, it's, it's funny because I just did a whole story series on artificial coloring. And a lot of people were like, I didn't know that artificial colors were that bad. And uh, yeah, they're readily found on these mouthwashes. So let me start with the worst, as I always do, and then build up to the best. So when I say worst, all of these are really crappy. Colgate whole mouth. This is one of the first ones. This is a total whole mouth. This got a four out of five on the Environmental Working Group Skin Deep database. It has... If you go to the back, remember I always say, if you cannot even read the ingredients or they have a number in them, that's a problem from the get-go. Now, the active ingredient is something called pyridinium chloride. This is used as a biocide. What that means is it kills the bacteria in the mouth or, or uh, different other microbes in the mouth. The problem is, is this orally is toxic to rats, mice, and rabbits, and it causes severe eye irritation. Now, it's here in lower doses, but it, it would behoove us to understand that in Japan, that ingredient is banned in many of the cosmetics so because of, highly, of, of high toxic concerns. And according to the Association of Occupational Environmental Clinics, they called this highly allergic and uh, highly toxic, and there's many concerns. So already, okay, that's one of the first ingredients in this. Already, I gave you some data on this. It has flavors, which is ambiguous, right? The ambiguity is a killer for me because this umbrella term of flavors, if you just do a little bit of research and see what natural flavors or flavors are all about, see, see what they can be. And you'll see a giant list of a lot of different chemicals. And it could be a soup, a toxic soup of chemicals. It could be 500, 600, 700, 1,000 different chemicals. It has propylene glycol. This is an irritant. And it's, uh, it's also moderate for allergies and organ toxicity. It has saccharin, right? Saccharin. Saccharin is sweet and low. And it's in animals, it's carcinogenic, and it's carcinogenic to the bladder. Most likely in humans, it's also carcinogenic in studies we're starting to see. It has an additive effect. So the more you use it over and over and over, you're getting affected by the saccharin. And saccharin is going to be something that is a common theme in all of these anyway. Uh, citric acid, most likely from GMO corn. I can't validate that, but it's Colgate. Um, and then we have the artificial coloring, which is amazing. Uh, green number three, yellow number six, right? Should artificial, and I did a whole show on this, please go back. Artificial coloring has been connected to adrenal tumors, brain tumors, thyroid tumors, bladder tumors in animals and behavioral uh, issues in children, as well as cognitive issues, hypersensitivity. Um, and kids are using this all the time because it makes their breath fresh and it tastes good. But remember, just because you don't think you're swallowing it, you are swallowing a little bit of this each time. Because we saw, and Dr. Stephen Lynn uh, did a, spoke about this in one of his podcasts, is that when drinking uh, or when using mouthwash, it, some of it gets to the microbiome, causes a disruption in the microbiome, and now it's connected to diabetes. That's crazy that, that's crazy that mouthwash is connected to diabetes. Amazing stuff. So the counterpart, just as crappy, is this Crest Pro Health Advanced Anti-Cavity Fluoride Mouthwash. Boom. I'm happy I spoke about the pineal gland earlier because a lot of these do have fluoride as one of their first ingredients. So this is for enamel, enamel care, and their first ingredient is fluoride. Um, it also has, again, cetylpyridinium chloride. Um, 
one thing that this has that Colgate didn't have is parabens. Why are parabens on here? Because on the chemical scale, it's pretty high. It's a 7 out of 10. It's in the red. Parabens are associated with developmental and reproductive toxicity. It's also associated with allergies and immunotoxicity and use restrictions, meaning that different countries are banning them. It also has endocrine disruption. Uh, it has flavors. Remember, I talked about that ambiguity. It could be a thousand different types of flavors. It's got saccharin. Again, so, uh, the sweet and low, and artificial colors, including uh, red 33, green number three. Now, red number three is the worst one. It's not this is red 33, but so if anything has red number three or any food coloring, you should just be careful anyway. Crest and Colgate are really, really should never be used. I don't think that anyone should it should ever even go in anyone's mouth. All right. So now we have one for kids. This is the Act Kids Wild Watermelon. All right, and this is the one with fluoride. Again, the active ingredient is sodium fluoride. It has propylene glycol, which is an irritant, moderate for allergies and organ toxicity I mentioned. It has sodium benzoate and polysorbate. These are less toxic, but there's restriction concerns that are, that are banned in other types of the country. But again, the big thing, two big things, is that this has food coloring, yellow number five. It has the fluoride, and it's given to children, right? Children, I, I promise you are swallowing this. The problem is this, not only with this food coloring, but with the fluoride, and, and I was just, in that study, they said that there's concerns for children having calcification of their pineal gland early on, which could be theoretically causing disruptions in melatonin, which is disruptions in the immune regulation, disruption in sleep, disruption in body clock, but also you're having hypersensitivity with the food coloring, you're having cognitive changes, Right? You see where I'm going with this? This should be never given to kids. And I promise you, I'm going to have better options. But I, I just want to point out, just because it's your dentist is recommending it, doesn't mean it's safe. And I did dental school for two years, and I promise you, most dentists do not know about this type of stuff. They know about teeth, wonderful. And that's how it is in specialties. But when you have to understand how the body works as a whole, and if you're exposing your oral microbiome and now your gut microbiome to these type of things every single day, we got a problem. So Listerine, Fresh Burst, number five. This might be one of the most popular ones. It was a four out of five in toxicity, so um, pretty high in itself. Uh, it has multiple additive exposures. The more you use it, there's a concern for bioaccumulation in the body. Um, to be honest, this one was less worse than the first three I went to, but not that much worse. I mean, that, not that much better. It has yellow 10, green number three, sodium benzoate, as I mentioned about those ingredients. It has the saccharin in here. So really, I, I, I still don't understand why it's not used. Now, the active ingredients are a little bit different. It doesn't have the fluoride or the, um, or the acetylperinidium chloride. It has eucalypt, eucalyptol, menthol, menthol salicylate, and thymol. So semi-safer ingredients, but again, I, I just don't think Listerine is something that should be used every single day. Now look, if you tell me that you're about to do a talk and you go to the office bathroom and there's Listerine in there and you take a shot of Listerine, great, okay. But if you're telling me you're doing it every single day, then that's a problem. The next one, ACT, anti-cavity. I, I pull this one out because it says number one dentist recommended fluoride brand. This reminds me of when I did the product review on Enfamil and it said number one pediatrician recommended. And I don't know why, this, this is just a testament to what I was saying. A dentist will know teeth and that's it, for the most part from their training. Now it takes a lot of outside training to understand everything else, which is something that my, again, my good friend Peter Lin does as a dentist. He's, he's way more forward thinking. Now the biggest problem is fluoride. Why is fluoride in here? It shouldn't be in here. Again, there's not enough data to even show that fluoride does much for teeth anyway. We need to pay close attention to fat-soluble vitamins. That is what's keeping our teeth strong, not fluoride. So this is number one dentist recommended. It has zero alcohol, great. Fluoride, again, I mentioned about the pineal gland, it has the ambiguous flavors, whatever that means. Could be a thousand different types of chemicals. Known irritants in here, known allergens, known carcinogens in here. Uh, risk for other toxicity. This is the overlap that we're starting to see for everything. It's like a toxic Venn diagram. They basically share pretty much all the same chemicals. Uh, and then you put this in your child's mouth. That's a big problem that I have. So but the number one thing I'm going to say is stay away from those antiseptic mouthwashes. It's going to affect your oral microbiome. It's going to affect your microbiome. It's going to give you a dose of fluoride, the ones that are fluoridated. It's going to give you a dose of chemicals daily, some of which have additive exposures the more and more you use them. Now, I'm going to go to the more natural ones. The two that I want to bring up is Tom's, Tom's of Maine, which were actually uh, bought out by Colgate. 
so just if that comes as a surprise, I just you should know that they were bought out by Colgate. They have a fluoride mouthwatch. Again, you know how I feel about fluoride. I won't repeat that. Um, but the nice thing about Tom's is that there's no animal testing, sustainable or no artificial flavors, colors, or preservatives, um, which I can get behind. Great. I don't. I still don't think it's the best one. And I, I've tried this a long time ago. It's not good. It doesn't taste good. Um, the Wicked Fresh one had a three out of five, which was lower than these, which was you know better. Three out of five in toxicity. Five out of five is the worst. Um, this is the fluoride-free one. Their uh, natural flavors. It's not ambiguous like flavors. It comes from natural oils, um, usually from mint and aromatic plants. It has sorbitol and xylitol, which can cause issues for people with SIBO. Um, it's derived from corn, they said, which I don't like because this is not, not, this is not organic or non-GMO. Um, so again, you're swishing around with something that's derived from likely genetically modified um, corn. Which has, which has a high exposure to glyphosate. Uh, glycerin, again, use, derived from vegetable oil. Which type of oil? Corn oil, soy oil, a big problem for me, okay? So, um, and then this, it's the same goes with the whole care fluoride one. One, it shouldn't have fluoride, and two, it, it's very similar. So with that all said, you're probably wondering, which one do I use if I even do use mouthwash? Well, there's a few things you can do. There was a study that showed that chlorhexidine um, and I think it was mouthwash, chlorhexidine mouthwash, and, um, and sesame oil. It was an India study. And between those three, sesame oil was shown to be as effective as the other two for removing plaque and, clean and reducing gingivitis. Sesame oil. The same goes for coconut oil, right? So if you're pulling with any of these, which are really Ayurvedic uh, techniques, you're going to be having the same effect as using these guys. Me personally, I do have one, and this is called Dental Sidon. It's by uh, Biosidon or Biobotanical Research. Um, they are the makers of Biosidon, which I also am a fan of for those with gut infections. This is just a accumulation. It's a blend of all different types of herbs, and these herbs are used for they, they have biocidal, biocidal um, actions in the mouth, so they target those bacteria that are causing a lot of like strep mutans and candida, they, they target that in the mouth to, to offer a cleaner mouth. There's a lot of research behind this. They do a really good job, this company. So this is what I use. I, it's, not, it's not cheap, but it's useful. And um, remember, if you're trying to reduce cavities, obviously I did the whole oral show, brushing after you eat, flossing as much as you can, and then making sure that you're having enough fat-soluble vitamins, that vitamin A, D, E, and K, those fat-soluble vitamins are going to be bringing that or protecting your teeth, right? Your, your mouth is a, is a huge uh, colony, and they all work together. If you follow Stephen Lin, he talks all about this on his Instagram, so Dr. Stephen Lin. Um, so that's that. Look. Stay away from these antiseptic mouthwashes, worst comes to worst. If you need one, to buy one really quick, get the Tom's one, see if you can do dental side in and think about oil pulling, think about sesame, think about coconut. I really hope that helped. I really wanted to fly through this because I wanted to get to our special guest. Let's get Gabrielle Lyon in here. I cannot wait to get this conversation going. Hey, all right, today's special guest, I've been waiting to get her on for so long. This is going to be a very, very, very important conversation, something that we have not spoke about until now, and I have the pleasure of sitting next to the great, the protein queen, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. Hi. Hi. Hi, hi, how are you? I'm well. I cannot believe how close I am to the studio. Yeah, yeah, how, how long, let's, tell us how long it took you to get here. Five, seven minutes. Amazing. And with a newborn, I was thinking, oh my God, I gotta go. Yeah, we aligned everything for you. We actually moved I'm the so studio lucky. here closer to you to go. <laughs> I'm so lucky. And every mother, every one of your listeners who is a mother is gonna really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, you know, and so you just said it, you had a baby, congratulations. How you. old now? She's 14 weeks. 14 weeks and um, beautiful baby. I see on Instagram every single time. Yes. Every single time I see her, I'm like, this is like a little human being, it's right? It's outrageous. I have to tell you a secret though. And I just discovered this last night. My husband showed me this picture of a newborn. And I said, oh my gosh, that baby is, our baby is so much cuter than mm -hmm. that. No, your baby is cute. Wait, it was our baby. Oh, really? So I feel really bad for anyone. <laughs> that had a 
look at my newborn baby pictures yeah because maybe she wasn't nearly as cute as I yeah thought, yeah i think babies get a little bit cuter as they get like <laughs> you know um, so, uh, some some weird oxytocin thing that probably happens so are you working right now then i am seeing some select patients mm -hmm. via remote mm -hmm. that are already established okay and then i go back from maternity leave in January. Okay, so why, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about what you do? You do you work in the city or here? I or? do. So I work. I have a Manhattan-based practice. Okay. And I practice something called muscle-centric medicine, mm -hmm. and it's this concept that muscle is the largest organ in the body, just like the thyroid is an organ, the heart is an organ. Muscle is not purely for locomotion, mm -hmm. but it is actually a endocrine organ. Yeah, and this is this is one of the huge reasons I wanted to have you come here and speak to people about this is because it's one even understanding the concept that muscle is an endocrine organ, mm -hmm. which we're going to talk about, but the how it's connected to longevity, how it's connected to yeah. overall health. And I heard you on so many podcasts and I'm like, "Whoa, I mean, we learned a little bit about this in school, but we didn't learn about you know what factors are released by the muscle how, how it how it keeps us young so i think that we really need to get into this because um the power and you know i deal a lot with cancer one of the main interventions is exercise and muscle building mm -hmm. aerobic and anaerobic um and i stress that a lot for people but now more than ever i'm like whoa like yeah. it's not only just like taking a walk around the block or jogging it's really like putting on muscle it is, and especially as you age, and, and even beyond muscle as an endocrine organ, it's this organ of longevity. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, it's responsible for the 80% of glucose metabolism. So when we think about cancer or you think about diabetes, heart disease, Alzheimer's disease, these are metabolic diseases mm -hmm. that muscle is really the solution. There's this concept of overfat. Everyone's talking about adiposity and you know being overweight, but really it's under-muscled. It's not an over-fat conversation. Mm -hmm. It's under-muscled. I love that. And and I, I think let's think back to like the early '90s, where everyone, like the men and the women, were like just really skinny. Yes. Right, with no muscle tone. But the concept of like health has shifted more, mm. um, especially in women. What I see is now a lot of women are really like weight training and right. putting on muscle more. Um, I'm sure that makes you happy, right? Well, especially if our goal is to change the trajectory of aging. Mm -hmm. These are predictable aspects within our control, and muscle is the key to that. If you do what you've always done, and you're doing, say, Pilates and yoga, and that is your form of exercise, I would say to a patient, you're just doing activity. Mm -hmm. You're not actually training. Mm -hmm. You know, training is resistance training, and it's also resistant. I mean, by the time you're done with your workout, you're really have wanted to quit at least once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, And I, I was actually reading about, uh, I think it was breast cancer, high intensity exercise where you're like really breathing hard is one of the major keys towards what exercise should be or that, that anaerobic part mm. of exercise. Because um, I, think, I think a lot of us think, you know, go to the gym, just lift some weights a little bit, you know, like soft resistance right, and no. leave. You're talking more like high resistance Breathing hard, yeah, right, and also uh, perceived exertion. You should be challenging yourself. It's just like anything in life. If you're not executing a challenge, if it's easy for you, you are laying a pattern of mediocrity. Truly, yeah. So yeah. for my patients, if they come in, they say, "Oh, Dr. G, the other Dr. G." Yeah, 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 no, 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 the, no, the Dr. Dr. G, <laughs> the Queen Dr. If, G. If they come in and they say to me, "Hey, Dr. G, this is great. It's so easy. I'm doing great," then we have to have a heart to heart. Yeah. Because it's you're not doing enough. If in that moment you tell me you're doing great and it's super easy, yeah. you know, I took care of, um, I did, I took care of Marta Topra and uh, Topran, and she was the former beauty editor of um, Women's Health magazine, mm -hmm. and we did a whole year-long journey. And every month she would come in and check in, and one of the things that I would ask her every time is, "How you doing?" Mm -hmm. And the second she said, "This is easy, I got it," I knew that we had to increase the yeah. capacity yeah i mean that's the incredible part about the body it has this adaptability mm -hmm. right we adapt so fast to the conditions we give it yeah. so it's a matter of like going outside of that comfort zone yeah um okay so the muscle yeah. the, mu the, the musculoskeletal system the muscles in particular why are they so special or why are they aren't they just for getting up moving lifting up objects right. throwing them across the room like what else are they used for if you are a neanderthal okay it's possible okay but uh, muscle is your metabolic currency. So what that means is it's responsible for the majority of glucose disposal, mm -hmm. the carbohydrates that you eat. 
So if you're eating a high carbohydrate meal, the more muscle mass you have, the more your body has the ability to utilize that fuel. I see. So number one, so when we are in the space of diabetes and obesity, people see over fat as an issue, which I had spoken about earlier, but really those are byproducts of poor muscle integrity. Mm-hmm. So having high quality muscle tissue is really essential and key for glucose metabolism. Okay. That's so amazing. Right off the bat. Right so if mm-hmm. individuals want to have, uh, to be able to even maintain their blood sugar mm-hmm. and not put on weight, they have to have healthy muscle tissue. Right. To, now are we talking about, so what, what are we more concerned with then? Them losing uh, adipose tissue or really having more muscle? That's a great question. Having more muscle. So adipose tissue is the byproduct of impaired muscle. Ah, I see. So it's not fat comes first and then you destroy your muscle tissue. That's mm-hmm. not actually how it happens. You have muscle tissue becomes full of glycogen and then it can no longer store. So now you're spilling over um, to the you, you, adipose. Exactly. Cells. So you have uh, more free fatty acids. Mm-hmm. Your your suitcase is full. Yeah. And that's really the issue. And so maintaining muscle tissue and, of course, having the right amount of carbohydrates in your diet. Yeah. Yeah. And like the proper type of carbohydrates, that makes a big difference. Um, I would say it really is individual. It is dependent on the individual. Okay. It's a, a calorie issue. And I know that there's a lot of argument in our space. Oh, it's not about calories, but it is. You know, on a very fundamental level, yeah. calories have to be controlled for. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so muscle is responsible for a large part of glucose metabolism. The other thing is fatty acid oxidation. So individuals that have high cholesterol, mm-hmm. the treatment to that would be actually having more muscle tissue mm. because it is a large site of fatty acid oxidation. That's amazing. It is. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. That's mean, so, and, and I know you, 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 this was like what you trained for. You were like in your fellowship doing this, right? So in my fellowship, I did a fellowship uh, at WashU in mm-hmm. nutritional sciences and geriatrics. Mm-hmm. And part of that nutritional sciences was obesity medicine. Yeah. And um, the geriatric part is really all about the aging body. Mm-hmm. Sarcopenia, which is you see the kind of people get skinny and, and frail. And also in cancer, that's cachexia. Yeah. Uh, these are all comorbidities that come along with low muscle mass. Yeah. So now with low muscle mass, is muscle, would you say it's anti-inflammatory? It is. Okay. So it has anti-inflammatory properties, hormonal properties. Can we talk about like, because this isn't something that we speak about regularly, especially in at least, you know, in school or coming out of school. Like it's not something that is constantly spoken about like it should be. Right. Because it's a new paradigm of thinking. Yeah, The old model is... Uh, people are putting on weight, they have excess fat. Obesity is the problem. It's a very negative perception and a negative paradigm as opposed to saying, hey, you know what? Being under-muscled and not challenging your body, not eating high-quality protein, not spacing out your meals appropriately, not training to capacity, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. So so it has an anti-inflammatory property, and then it releases what was it, myokines. myokines. So things. So for example, interleukin six. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an interleukin, but it, it has a whole host of other myokines, and, and the science is still very new in terms of how it works throughout the whole body. But muscle incre- um, releases something also called BDNF, mm-hmm. right? So that's I did a whole show on that. Okay, one. Okay, there you I go. I love BDNF. So it's yeah. um, muscle secretes a lot of things, and it's still very new science mm-hmm. in terms of how it interrelates to chronic illness. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's very, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. Um, and it, the reason I think it's still new, it's hard to manage in terms of getting data. So we know what a percent body fat should be, mm-hmm. but we don't know what a percent muscle mass should be. Yeah. I, I have no idea what your percent muscle mass should be for optimal health, and nobody knows what mine would be. So it's very um, interesting there's that clinical aspect mm-hmm. that now really comes into play versus what is the standard we know what blood sugar isn't great but we have no concept of yeah yeah and you're not like getting uh your you're not going through one of the machines at the gym and telling you okay well you're not at your optimal muscle right. for your body right so it just varies person to person so is it important now you know i'm 35 is it important for me yeah i made it isn't it important to uh right now to start really focusing on having proper muscle tone yeah. before I hit 40 and over? So you're in kind of the sweet spot where you can kind of get away with what you're doing, but right around 35, 36, as you get into your 40s, this is the part, this is the point in time where it's critical. Mm. If you don't maintain and build a muscle now, 
then your trajectory of aging is Big time. is inevitable yeah. um, in an unfavorable way. And the way in which you would help protect your tissue would be through resistance training and high quality protein. Yeah. And you know, we have very different uh, protein views. So for you, you would really want to make sure that your plant-based protein had uh, branched-chain amino acids mm -hmm. because the amino acid profiles are totally different. Mm -hmm. And you know, for example, if we say quinoa, quinoa would take six cups of quinoa for one chicken yeah. breast. Yeah. That's too much. Yeah. But if you carbs. right, it's too many carbs. So it's metabolically disastrous mm -hmm. for individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, and if individuals really wanted to maintain their health, they have to maintain their tissue. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is the metabolic currency. Which is incredible. Well, you'll be happy to know I have a trainer now. So Great. we hit the gym hard. You do. And um, do you want to quit at least one time in your workout? Yes. Perfect. Yes. Perfect. I actually like curse him out at least once. And I'm like, All right, now I'm you're leave. doing it right. Now yeah. we have some progress. It, it, it's interesting because like he made it like it, it, it each time it's just hard enough for me to be like, oh, this is like really it's perfect. And that's and I think that's a really good take home for folks who go to the gym and mm -hmm. resistance train men and women to make sure that we are making it so that at least through each workout, we're like, oh, this is like, I don't want to do this. Right, this and that you hard. have goals. Yeah. I have, you know, when I'm training, I have a set progression. There's set progressions. Mm -hmm. It's not haphazard. You don't do anything haphazard yeah. in your life. Health is not a haphazard byproduct, mm -hmm. just like financial freedom is. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's true. So if you want um, success in any domain, yeah. it requires planning. Yeah. And it requires checking in with progress. So, so, what, so you said I'm at a sweet spot all of a sudden, let's say, because our listeners are like a, a probably 20 to 35 or something. Okay. Um, and as we're getting older, what happens then? Because mm -hmm. like, let's say once I hit 40 and I don't, I'm not building enough muscle tissue or eating enough, let's say, which is my thing. I just don't eat enough sometimes. But um, what happens then? Well, so when you're young, you're driven by hormones, testosterone, insulin, which is a growth hormone. And then... So, you, so basically, so let me, let me take a step back. When you're young, you can kind of do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. You know, the guys in high school, they are, who knows, eating Twinkies and working yeah. out, doing this ridiculous workout, but they're still seeing progress. Yeah. It's because their metabolism is dominated by hormones. As we age, there's a natural decline, right? Mm -hmm. A decline in testosterone. Don't tell anyone, especially my husband. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's a natural decline in these hormones, uh, uh, IGF-1, and your body, or your growth hormone, um, but your body then becomes regulated by insulin. So mm -hmm. now insulin then becomes the predominant driver, mm -hmm. right? Because you're not making all the hormones, you're not necessarily in this growth phase anymore. So as you age, really maintaining that tissue needs to come from two, really two particular uh, actions on your part. Mm -hmm. And that would be dietary protein. Dietary protein stimulates the, the muscle mm -hmm. mechanistically mm -hmm. and resistance training. Mm -hmm. But if you do what you've always done in your 20s, then, and you know you do what you've always done and you're no longer very mindful, right? You, you're not mindful of, you're eating a minimum of 30 grams of high quality protein, you're on a resistance training program, yeah. then the muscle has a natural tendency to decline. Mm. Just over, as soon as like 40 and onward. Well, um, I can't say that for sure, yeah. because everyone's training age is different. Mm -hmm. And their hormonal status is different but there is you know sarcopenia is considered a natural gradual yeah. decline in aging interestingly individuals thought of sarcopenia as a disease of aging mm -hmm. it's not really a disease of aging it starts in your 30s depending on your activity inflammation status um, mm -hmm. and just your lifestyle yeah yeah I'm, I'm glad to see my dad's working out again he's um, he's 65 but the importance of high quality protein or protein in general for him at this age should be, it's, it's, it's more, higher. it's, it's higher, higher, right? So there's a, a study called the ProAge study, mm -hmm. and um, it's a great for any of your readers to, to take a look at. And it really highlights what needs to be done to help maintain individuals' muscle mass. So I have to tell you, as a geriatrician, which is what I did my postgraduate training in, mm -hmm. is muscle mass for the aging population is the single most important action they can take to maintain that tissue than anything else. Wow, that's um, a statement. That is, yeah. and that is the single most important thing that they can do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and they require more protein. So the RDA for protein, which is a joke, is 0.8 grams per kilogram. Mm -hmm. For an aging population, it's double. Mm. For just baseline, I mean, yeah. I recommend across the board one gram per pound body weight. Okay. So I'll say that yeah. again. Yeah. Per And it's typically per ideal 
ideal body weight. So if I have a woman who comes in, she's 130 pounds, mm-hmm. I will recommend 130 grams of protein. Wow. And for a lot of people, they think, wow, that's so much. But you have to be able to protect that tissue. Mm-hmm. And especially as you age, you know, if you're not really executing in terms of training, there's no other way to protect it. Yeah, so so interesting that w- when you say that statement, because when I heard you on the Broken Brain podcast, and we speak about like dementias yeah. being you know really connected to mostly you know sixty and over sixty five and over. Um, it starts in your thirties. It, star- it starts early on, yeah. right? So you're you're saying that as we get older, that's one of the single most important yeah. factors for overall health. Is it because of what it does as an endocrine mm-hmm. organ? Okay. So it's so protein is so valuable because muscle is so valuable. We inherently don't need protein. We need the amino acids. Mm-hmm. The muscle determines everything about an individual's health. It determines their capacity to deal with eating, right? Mm-hmm. Through your capacity to deal with glucose. It is your capacity to deal with cholesterol, your resting metabolic rate, just your baseline metabolism is largely responsible, mm-hmm. is um, for muscle, right? So determine that. And then as you think about protection from falls and aging and cancer and cachexia, mm-hmm. it's your amino acid reserve. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. your, you know, it's kind of like your bank. Yeah, like um, over 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 your life, you're just building it and building yeah, it. Yeah, it's your bank, it. it will protect you. Yeah. God, God forbid something happens, it, the tissue that's going to protect you is your muscle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which the, makes sense. The yeah. more you have, the healthier it is, the better your life is going to be in the long term. And the dangerous aspect is when you go through periods of disuse, so there's some good uh, information, you know, Doug Patton Jones does a lot of work on this, is that say you stop training or have a fall or get sick and you don't do any activity for five to seven days. It's not a gradual decline. It's a very steep decline in muscle tissue. A hundred percent. I've seen it. Yeah. One time, I, I mean, when I was like really good shape in college, I got sick with the, the flu, I think it was, for like a week. Mm. I felt like I lost everything. Right. It was incredible. How, right. I lost like eight, nine pounds so fast. Yeah. Um, Your body goes into this catabolic state. Yeah. You know, and um, as a physician who treats patients, and I, I, you know, I've been at the bedside of just a lot more than I wish to even remember dying individuals. Mm. You know, it's. I've seen it too. Yeah. It's just. It's yeah. Especially if you're with cancer. It's yeah. just. You know the in information. Everyone can argue when you're younger about animal protein, plant protein, and they can have these arguments. But when you're sitting at the bedside of individuals that are dying or have fallen and broken a hip, and mm. then they can't recover, mm. that conversation is no longer valid. Mm. You know, it's. What have we done to get to this point? Yeah, because it's it's over time as it is. Yeah, it is. So really important is like now, listeners and viewers, to start really doing a program resistance training that is really causing you to get out of breath, right? Yeah, and, and Hard, tracking difficult. your progress. Are you putting on muscle? Are you are, on are muscle? you doing Are you doing it smartly? Do you have a trainer? Do you have a plan? Mm-hmm. Are you tracking your progress? And high quality animal protein. You don't have to eat animal protein mm-hmm. but if you're not you better be really smart at how you are positioning your plant-based proteins with mm-hmm. amino acids I mean mm-hmm. there's no way around it mm-hmm. we can argue the ethical aspects mm-hmm. um, you know there's all these conversations going around but what we cannot argue are biological values which is the difference in quality of protein mm-hmm. and you have to make up for that so you just have to be smart in how you position your nutrition plans and your diet Right. Okay. So, and then, and then, when it comes to, um, well, and something interesting that I wanted to touch on is you said folks who are sedentary need more protein. Yeah. Yeah. And how else are you going to stimulate your tissue? Yeah. And, and you know, your baseline of carbohydrates is, you know, I say you can have ninety grams of carbs, the rest you have to earn. Yeah. And that's probably high. Ah, uh, I see. I see. So uh, versus, and and another conversation I remember hearing was about the the blue zones. Those folks were are very very active. They are very active. So they're not needing more protein because they're active. Is that what you, you were alluding um, to? So the blue zones are just groups of individuals that have a multifactorial uh, lifestyle. Right. There's so many factors that kind of make them blue zones, yeah. which is like sense of purpose, community. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, and this, these are all things I preach about. Right. But, but you know, in, in your, um, in that podcast, I heard they spoke about how they have lower protein diets and you had mentioned that 
They're yes. not sedentary. Right. They're moving all the time, so they're protecting their tissue. I see. Right. And they're not doing the high resistance exercise. You're not really, they don't have a need, you know, arguably you, you protect the tissue without having too much, you know, too high of a protein intake. They're able to maintain their tissue. I see. I see. Versus Americans. Yeah. What are we doing? We're going to work and sitting down and typing. So how are you going to protect your tissue? The alternative is you're going to have to eat something, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and like you said, there's so many other factors with the blue zone. Yeah. For sure. So, um, when it comes to protein in general or muscle tissue, what other things are really important to bring up that the viewers and listeners need to know about? Well, I think really understanding the difference between animal and plant protein. Okay. Um, and we were kind of talking about that before, where if you're going to do a plant-based protein, you need much more. So you'll need 35 to 45% more. And you mentioned the branched-chain amino acids. Yes. And okay. if you were going to do a lower-quality protein like a tofu, you can add in so they can watch their caloric intake because you mm-hmm. might need 600 calories of tofu to equal uh, 180 calories of steak based on the amino acid profile. So what they would need to do is they need to add in a branched chain amino acid product Okay. to say a lower yeah. quality protein like a, a tofu mm-hmm. um, type protein. Having high quality protein after you train is great for muscle recovery. Mm-hmm. Is it is it necessary? Yeah, because I remember when I was in college and I was all in the bodybuilding.com yes. stuff yes. and everything. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yep. the, the, the whey proteins, yep. all of that fun stuff. Um, the the So you're supposed to have, like, carbohydrates right after a meal? So and carbohydrate then, could be – also, it depends on the kind of activity you did. Yeah. So if, you know, it just depends and mm-hmm. also what is your goal. So if it's for glycogen, if you want to replenish glycogen stores, you can have yeah. carbohydrate if you want to um, – if you're really focused on muscle recovery, mm-hmm. you'd want to have protein. Yeah, so that's that's the important part. So if we're beat up after workout, like you Which said, you should be, you should be Which beat you should up. Be. Then we should be going back and having having enough. You should. Okay. Yes. Okay. So you know, um, high quality protein would be the fundamental, the, the foundation of the house. Okay. And uh, really getting that right, and then getting it in correct dosing. So you need around 30 grams of a high quality protein per meal. And it's because of that that uh, mechanistic action for muscle protein synthesis. Okay, so, so so making sure you're getting enough per meal is to trigger to trigger something called mTOR to trigger mm-hmm. this cascade of events that is going to happen to actually stimulate muscle protein synthesis. So if you're having 15 grams of protein per meal, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. You're just really kind of getting calories, and then you're getting protein, and it's going to do other things. Mm-hmm. But if you are getting a minimum of 30 grams it is enough leucine, which is one of the branched chain amino acids, to then stimulate muscle protein synthesis. And you call it the threshold, right? It's a threshold. Okay. Well, actually, um, so I was trained and am still mentored by someone named Dr. Donald Lehman, and he's one of the, uh, he is a world-leading protein expert. Okay, that's and amazing. He is, good, good mentor. He's incredible, and what makes him so incredible, he's very open-minded and has a lot of integrity in what he says is his opinion versus what is what he's seen and what he does. Mm-hmm. So he's... I'm very fortunate to have him as a mentor. Yeah, and that's and he says the same thing when it comes. This to This is who taught me. Yes. Okay. So it's um, it's a, th- a meal threshold. Okay. Uh, the the concept of snacking on protein, having small snacks on protein, would be a bad idea. I see. But I see. having like a like a, like a uh, let's say a beef jerky or like a tofu jerky or something yeah. like that is just you should be doing rather meals. than just be having a, putting it yes. into a meal. Yes. Okay. Because that's where that conversation of. Um, you know, mTOR and cancer, everyone says, oh, well, protein relates to cancer. Well, it doesn't. There is mTOR in all in all cells, right? Mm-hmm. So it's in your liver, it's in your muscle, it's in your brain. Um, and chronic stimulation typically comes from carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And some, you know, for some reason, protein got a bad rap. With that being said, it's important to eat in discrete meals. Mm-hmm. You yeah. don't want to be feeding or grazing all day long because you yeah. don't want to activate this machinery all day long. It's yeah, just and, it's, and for digestive too. I mean, yeah. like having that time between meals is really important yes. for that whole chain to happen. It is, and it actually resets your muscle. Oh, okay. So it's um, so no more grazing. No, don't gentlemen, graze. no grazing. No, 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 don't. You should be eating a high quality meal so that you don't have to do that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's better for your body composition. Yeah. I mean, arguably, again, it goes back to calories. Yeah. But being able to regulate your blood sugar. Is so important. And you'll feel better. Yeah. Absolutely. One of the last things I wanted to talk to you about was the, um, you said something about time-restricted feeding. Mm-hmm. Is this something you practice? 
Well, actually, I do. Okay. Uh, of course, I've been pregnant for the last 10 months, uh-huh. but, you know, up until recently and breastfeeding. But yes, I do. Okay. And for me, and, it's, and I have to say, although I practice it, it's not necessarily great for an aging population. Okay. Because, or if you're in an already catabolic state. All right. And, and what is time-restricted feeding? Is that just like the fasting? Well, so time-restricted feeding would be to eat, I eat, how I define it is eating in a compressed feeding window, eight okay. to nine hours. All right. um, so what I've seen is that it really helps with blood sugar regulation and insulin. You know, I just have seen it work over and over again, anecdotally. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it makes you less focused on food. So you know when you're gonna be eating, these are your discrete meals, and it does allow for digestive rest. Yeah. And individuals that have a really hard time losing weight, and maybe it's because they can control their calories, but it, it seems to work. Yeah. And, the, and, and it, like you said, it pushes away that grazing. It does. It resets the capacity the to have more discipline with food yeah. if you commit to the structure. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Um, so you are not seeing, you're seeing some patients now. Are you coming back to practice? I'm when coming back come? in January. All right, so. That's soon. When okay. does this When does this come out? Like, oh, this will be December, so. Amazing. So in a month, she'll be there. Uh, and uh, and how can people find you, or yes. book with you, or wh- where are you? Um, they can find me on Instagram, mm-hmm. Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry for all the baby pictures. She now has her own account. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> so. Follow that, too, yep. if you love babies. Um, so Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, and then my website is going to be rebranded and coming out, and that's drgabriellelyon.com. Mm-hmm. And Facebook is doctor spelled out, Gabrielle Lyon. Twitter is, you know, they'll find me. So You're in it. I'm there. You're everywhere. Okay, yeah. so, uh, and ladies and gentlemen, listen to other podcasts too, because it's just, it's amazing stuff. I've always been fascinated by her, and I'm really glad that I got to meet yeah. you here. And, um, me and, too. And uh, yeah, and you dropped some really good knowledge. I love that. Um, I got to start eating some more. Yes. In general. So listen, and I have two other, uh, I do have a few things that I can provide for your listeners for, mm-hmm. you know, no cost to them is I've just updated my protocol. Okay. So I had a, a line protocol version one and I've now updated it to a 2.0 version with mm-hmm. the help of a, a great writer named Peter Baker. And that will be out. Uh, it should be finished this week. And this talks about the amino acids. And, you know, I really didn't want to make the information that we're talking about unaccessible for people. Yeah. Because then if it's too sciencey, no one wants to hear it. It's really boring. And there's yeah. like drool coming out. Uh-huh. No one wants to hear that. Yeah. Um, so they can go and get that for free. Yeah. It's uh, on my website. And I do a newsletter, a weekly newsletter in which I include research. And I do my best to curate it well. Beautiful. So. Beautiful. There you go. There's yeah. your resources, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. And um, thank you, Dr. Thank Lyon. You. I really appreciate you. That was and, amazing. Yeah, and you'll be over and I can pass the baby off to someone else. All right. There you go. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. I told you she's amazing. What a brilliant person. She, you should follow her podcast. She talks a lot more about this if you are interested. Um, I know I learned a lot. So... With that said, thank you for watching the show, listening to the show, telling other people about the show, rating, reviewing, subscribing, giving us all the love in the world because we're giving it back. I really appreciate you all. Thank you.